The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kia ora koutou. welcome to Actually Interesting, a podcast all about artificial intelligence brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Russell Brown and I'm delighted to say that this episode consists of some quality time with a woman who has been at the centre of design and AI at the biggest tech companies in the world, Adobe, Apple, Samsung, Sony, Facebook and now Microsoft. But Anna Ariola isn't anyone's tech stereotype. Born in California, she became an animator before moving to Japan for a decade to teach herself new things. Since then, she's worked in product and user experience design, executive leadership, and all along the frontiers of technology as we encounter it in the world. Throughout, she's been an LBGTQ plus mentor and advocate. Welcome, Anna. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, now, your formal job title is General Manager and Partner, Microsoft AI plus Research and Bing. It's quite a long and complicated it title. It is, yeah. What does it mean in the practical so sense? So we um, are part of one of the pillar organizations inside of Microsoft called AI and Research. And so inside our organization, it consists of really sort of the OG of the academic research scientific community, Microsoft Research. And so there's Microsoft Research, there's Search or Microsoft Search that includes Bing. Um, and at that sort of aspect, my job as general manager and partner of product design is looking across how do we leverage state-of-the-art AI um, plan for its use if it's not ready for immediate commercialization and, and use it in a way where we can test um, towards assisting in humanity on our publicly facing search engine that essentially is our AI data set, essentially. So that's bing.com. Um, yeah, and so my organization consists of multidisciplinary folk. We have product designers, we have UX researchers, or I like to call them human researchers. We have um, design engineers, we have producers, um, and we have content strategists. So that's kind of what I do. And we work holistically across Microsoft. So making sure that if you know Office puts search in, if Azure is doing search, if Windows is doing search, future hardware is doing search, how do we leverage the best in the state of AI across each of the surfaces? Um, you come from a design background, uh, and I sense that's where your heart is. Where does design fit in this? Is, is, is it about bringing together all those disparate elements? So when you think about the term product design, it's a fairly contemporary 
contemporary term for this discipline that is multifaceted. Before, you would think of design as more of a uh, sort of vernacular, sort of aesthetic sort of approach to something, you know, something that, you know, as simple as but very difficult to design as a utensil you might put into your mouth, a spoon or a fork, to something that we're all familiar with, um, the, that of the products that Johnny has created over the years at the fruit company. So I like to call, I like to call them the CIA as well. But yeah, we used to call it the farm because um, it was so secretive about everything we were working on. And so and of late, I would say of the last mm, 15 plus years, this role that was disparate, it was like information architect, you know, graphic designer, um, sort of design engineer has now all come together into this disciplinary term called product design. A huge proponent of this has been Facebook sort of now hiring for that where individuals that are working within their craft are multidisciplinary. So they not only do have a strong interaction, human computer interface background, but they also have the ability to be and convey their um, narratives very viscerally and, and visually. And that's sort of the typography and sort of the graphical design aspect. But there's also a, a sort of a, a, an expectation that they have the business acumen as well. So they are able to put on their product management hat. They are able to like look at it from a business strategist and think about what is the business value. And more importantly, as I say to my entire organization, what are the real people problems that we're solving for? What are, what are the challenges for humanity? And that's how we take product design and we approach any particular product or experience we may be creating, but in particular with artificial intelligence. Does the, uh, the, the principle that good design is invisible to the user apply here? So you want this to be unobtrusive. You want this to be invisible. Um, absolutely. You know, my personal sort of three traits that I live off of, my, basically built my career around, is um, human, simplistic, um, and and basically uh, uh, innate in nature. You're able to basically just pick up something, understand, oh, I hold the cup this way, or I interact with this particular piece of software uh, experience on any given surface, and you just know how to use it. You're not struggling to understand how does this function. And ideally, good AI design is seamless. It's 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 sort of the magic. You like may think it's there, you may know it's there, but it's really invisible at the end of the day. Well, that's one of the things we see about search. When search works, it just works, and it seems like it's right. Correct, yeah. And search is why search is so interesting from an artificial intelligence perspective. Search originally in the early days was can-curated, right? Um, and then it went into algorithms. And now it's a combination of algorithms and reinforcement learning. And really where the future is going, especially the, the thing that's after artificial intelligence or at the near horizon that we care about, artificial general intelligence, where essentially AI, the models, the data sets, they become like a small animal, essentially. Um, and it will grow and develop with you over time and become much more personalized. Um, Jan Kuhn, who just won the Turing Award this year with Facebook, he was my peer at Facebook. Um, and he taught myself and a lot of my team members about AGI. And it's something that we're all very fascinated about. AI general intelligence, can you tell me about, about that? Because that's kind of one of the things that we assume isn't possible, but you're saying that, that that's what the... It is. And if you do a search um, anywhere on the internet and you do a search for artificial general intelligence and you do a search for Jan LeCun, there are some interesting videos about, uh, like he's a professor at N uh, NYU, 
and you'll see his his teachings and what he's talking about. And some of the commercially facing experiences where AGI is currently being deployed is if you look at the autonomous car driving systems that leverage deep learning, DL or, or deep reinforcement learning um, for the Tesla uh, system, uh, that's computer vision at its really highest sort of understanding of AGI and it's just getting better. But again, AI is not something that solves for everything. It has to be very singularly focused right now. It has to be trained up very well, which is an aspect that I'm very passionate about, making sure that what we're training for and solving for the historical patriarchy that created these systems 65 plus years ago are inclusive and are future forward looking for the next generation, the generation Z and the alpha generation that's forthcoming. Um, but that's an example of how AGI is actually being used today. Right, um, the, the phrase historical patriarchy. I mean, yeah. the, can, can you expand on that? Because we know that what we get out of AI is yeah. a product of the assumptions that go into it. So um, 65 plus years ago, the term artificial intelligence was coined at Dartmouth University in a summer paper. Um, and that's sort of where all this started. And if you think about 65 years ago, um, the world has changed radically, right? There's now more than ever a sense of decolonization that's happening. Like how do we fix and sort of solve for the, the inequities or sort of the wrongs that have happened historically throughout the world? Now, the data sets that have been generated, the computer vision, facial recognition is an example, the natural language and speech processing AI that we use for our voice systems, like that's also trained and biased in a very masculine sort of patriarchal, can be often misogynistic perspective. There's lots of movements that are happening right now to solve for these sorts of things. And so there's a, a good friend of mine, Mustafa, who just opened up uh, Google AI in Ghana. He was one of my head researchers at Facebook, and we have very similar researchers also within us in Microsoft Research that are looking at how do you solve for these inequities? Um, and in particular for myself and my team, my organization, um, within product design, we just established a group this year called ETCH, um, Ethics, Transparency, Culture, and Humanity, that works side-by-side -side with Microsoft Research. And there's a group inside of Microsoft Research that we deeply care about, and it's called FATE, F-A-T-E. If you do a search on Microsoft.com, actually it is Microsoft.com slash FATE, you can read more about this. And it's led by these amazing individuals out of New York City, and it stands for Fairness, Transparency, um, uh, wait, Fairness, Accountability, Transparency, and Ethics. Um, and it's just an amazing group of folks that are working cross-company, cross-culturally to fix for a lot of these issues. Because if traditionally, you know, the underrepresented minorities, the black population, the queer population, the brown population, that includes both South Asians as well as Mexicans and, and uh, Latinx folks like myself, you know, they've been underserved and under-recognized in these models. And now if you look to where this younger generation is going, where they don't see these, these sort of different minority communities, it's all blended together in a beautiful, seamless uh, world. Um, when you're dealing with natural language and the kids that are interfacing with the natural language systems today, um, you want to make sure they're developing good behavioral patterns as well. And so, like, they don't want to either be misgendered, as an example, myself being a trans woman. It's like hearing my voice one way and having a preposition um, sort of like, knowledge of what, what the voice of a person should sound like. That's what we need to deconstruct and solve for. And these are just a few of the many, 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 many things that we're all working on at various different companies around the world right now. 
So it's more than just having a, a diverse workforce, which is oh, it's, the usual it's so much solution. more. Like, yeah. like we like to use the term, like diversity and inclusion just means making sure that there's safety and security within any given organization. But it's really about global intersectionality. It doesn't matter what race you are, what gender you are, what expression you are, what access or privilege you're coming from. Making sure that everything is fair and equitable, and everything is is just right, so that people are never harmed um, or hurt within the context of technology such as artificial intelligence, or in the context of just being in their environment, whether it's work or home or in the civil society. So uh, as, a, as a keynote to it, getting past norm- normative assumptions, mm-hmm. because you've done a fair bit of that in your life, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty heady topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, the, 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 there's, um, there's a lot of unconscious bias that's in the world, right? And like now we're having to really radically confront this. And, and work side by side with, with our own indigenous populations and our own communities of these underrepresented minorities with the mainstream population to understand that like the way that you're used to doing things is not the right way anymore, especially in the context of Gen Z and the alpha generation that's upcoming. And as a mother of three wonderful little individuals who are, who are of the alpha generation, I want to make sure that they're living in a safe and beautiful future to come and that things don't necessarily end up either persisting the way they are now um, or that they end up going in a different direction that we not, none of us want to see going. Uh, I'm impressed that, that such a large company as Microsoft is thinking about things that it has a division like fate. Is, is that common at a senior level across tech companies? Um, yes, we, we care very deeply about this. Um, and like Microsoft's uh, research team that leads the FATE initiative, there are some other forthcoming uh, initiatives that we're working on that will be announced, um, I believe, in the very near future. I, I'm not necessarily um, able to comment on them right now, but I'm super excited about them, and I'm actually part of them. Um, something that we can talk about that is really sort of in service of humanity um, is we just recently announced at this uh, past year's uh, SIGGRAPH Chi event the human AI um, interface and interaction guidelines. So the human AI guidelines really sort of are a set of parameters that will allow individuals to think about as you're building out a software solution, a product, how, and you're going to be using AI in all of its various different forms, things you should really be critically thinking about. Um, and I'm happy to forward you a link to that. We've, that's all public, and we've got a whole sort of card set. And we actually printed up physical cards of them, and we have cards in all of our conference rooms and our studio to make sure as we're having these discussions about new features we're building out, whether it's like new mapping experiences or retail experiences or general search results experiences, we're thinking through all of these. I, I have to say I'm slightly surprised that, that this is only that part is only just happening now. Uh, I mean, you, you worked at Apple where... In the glory days, the user interface guidelines were were, yeah. uh, were holy writ. Yeah, and yet we're just getting to that stage now with AI. Yeah, the, so like Greg Christie and the old team at, at Apple when they created the HCI guidelines. I mean, that's still today is one of the pinnacles of platform design. Um, and if you think about platform, like at Microsoft, we have the Fluent platform. Um, at Facebook, they have their common look and feel. At Samsung, it's the Lumi platform. And Apple, it's the iOS HCI guidelines. Um, and so from a common product design interaction perspective, like there are lots of references. But from an AI perspective, we're one of the first companies to come out with this. And actually, we were cited in Google's most recent like uh, announcement where they do have some guidelines that's publicly facing right now. 
But um, if you compare the two, like we are much more media and sort of like have a lot of key critical elements that they necessarily don't allude to. And they've actually cited us as being the sort of genesis of what they've created. So you'll be seeing a lot more from us in the very near future about the wonderful work that we're doing here within Microsoft. That sounds exciting. Um, I, 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 how, how much do we, the rest of us as end users, need to understand about this? Hmm. I think... So if you're in software engineering, if you're in electrical, mechanical engineering, if you're in product design, product management, you do need to know this um, because you need to make sure what you're, what you're creating and bringing into the world is a very beautiful and meaningful experience. From a general consumer perspective, I don't think that it's necessarily um, – it should be transparent to you, but you should also have the faith um, and sort of like, like knowing that what I'm interfacing with is fair and is unbiased. And what I'm interfacing with is not going to be harmful or hurtful. And that is why we're releasing these guidelines. We've released these guidelines, why we care about what we do so deeply. Um, and something to think about that the general consumers um, right now don't need to worry about because we're looking into the future. We need to be thinking about and solving for Right now, the AI experiences are like myself plus an AI agent. It could be a chatbot. It could be some sort of part of a, a, a sort of a system, like a search engine you might be interacting with. But in the very near future, it's going to be human to many AI. So there's a collaboration aspect. How do we, rather than just asking something and having something returned via AI, how do we then collaborate with AI to make things catalytic and even more interesting? And so it's the human AI interaction and collaboration aspect that we're now looking into. Um, and should have some interesting stuff to announce or like start articulating our vision around that in the coming year. So it's still useful on a consumer level for all of us to understand that that things that just seem to work are brought to us by, yeah. by AI. We should we should know that. Yeah. So I mean, like like you know, AI really relies on telemetry, and that's those are activities or actions that we take in the digital world. And if you're calling an Uber as an example, you know the fact that Uber knows via spatial uh, recognition, like where you're standing and where the cars are. And if you move, it could predict that and it can predict traffic flow. And that's that's all part of AI. But you don't really see that. You see that as a beautiful graphical representation of cars moving around you and where you are in position to where the driver is going to be. There's many, many things like that that are out there. Instagram as an example. So when you're using Instagram, AI is heavily reliant on the hashtag data that you put into it. So the more hashtags you add, the more relevant the result returns are going to be, uh, and the more learning it's going to have about you and what content it's going to recommend to you. And Facebook's wall operates in a very similar way. Um, and you can think about uh, you have an image and you have video, right? That's recently in a lot of the sort of new SMS uh, sort of communication. It's non-textual. Textual is easy to understand. You can do speech to text, text to speech, and sort of you know natural language processing to understand that. But when you have an image that's static or you have a video piece that may not even have uh, audio in it, like spoken word or even any sort of signage, still AI can make some interesting uh, extrapolations from that. If it's a photograph, it could be looking at, let's say you're standing on a, on a street. It could look at like, okay, where are you? What time of day are you? Like, are there signs? What are the signs? It could sort of, if, if there's excess metadata in the file, like GPS information, it could say where you are and make and put all this together in a meaningful way. And one of the ways that we take advantage of that is making sure that the accessible experiences, the inclusive design that we designed for in Microsoft Search, that we can have uh, for those that are visually challenged, we can have readouts of the, of the content. In a very ideal near future, you've got video. 
And if the video is playing, it can then pick up emotion from the actors or the sort of the talent that may be in frame or the spoken word and do real-time language translation. So there's lots of interesting things that both AI and AGI are going to be able to do to bring this near future beautiful world to the forefront. You mentioned recommendations um, earlier, which is, I guess, one of the ways in, in which we tend to interact with AI without actually even knowing it. We've been thinking about that quite a lot in New Zealand since mm. the mass shooting earlier this yes. year. And we've been seeing that as the problem and, and that certain platforms contribute to radi- you know, yes. cause radicalisation. Yeah. AI in that context, I guess you could see as the problem, can it also be the solution? It, it, so it is, and it also requires deep human intervention. And that's where like our organisation as a whole meets many times a week to look at these sorts of challenges. Um, we're looking at everything from terrorism to hate speech to gore to violence to like nefarious stuff that happens, uh, malevolent stuff that happens on the internet. And in particular, when the Christchurch situation happened, we immediately jumped on that. We took action like explicitly right after because as you know, having lived this experience here in New Zealand, that there was a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt and fake information that was out there. People were saying things like, it's a visual effects thing for a movie, and when it, when it absolutely was not. And so we're on top of that right away. We're taking it down. We face that on a variety of different fronts. Anti-vaccine uh, information that's up there and a variety of different things I don't want to necessarily go into because by doing so, we'd give away what we're going after. But um, yeah, know at the forefront, there's a lot of beautiful hearts and minds that are on top of this, you know, looking at it from a global perspective. Um, how much How much a part of the problem is algorithms that select for uh, attention and popularity over, um, over it, merit? It actually could be other things. Like there are these aspects of these bad actors that are in the world that are using these things called data voids. I'm not sure if you've heard of yes, this. Yes, I term. have, yeah. But explain yeah, so, it. Right? It's so, um, I- imagine they're planning to do something and they place this pre-sort of created data. It could be sort of like misinformation. It could be a, 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 an unfortunate perspective on some sort of event or, or population. And the way you access it, it won't just show up normally if you do a search. But if you if you go out and you start protesting or you're doing activities and use hashtags, that will trick people to do a search on it. And by searching on it, we'll up-level it and basically almost like hatch it. Um, and that's like when that happens and that does happen, we're immediately on top of it. And it's challenging. It could be a little bit like whack-a-mole in certain cases, like like the video game. And you're like, got it. I think we got it. Oh, there it popped up again. We got it again. But like it's really like vigilance. It's tenacity on our part of just not really being like, like unrelentless and like making sure that we're on top of these things as they come up. I'll tell you, there's like things that happen. We're like, oh, we thought we got that. All right, it's back yeah. up again. Let's go get it again. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, know that we're here on your side. And we're in. Uh, we're on the side, and we're in service of humanity with everything that we do. Yeah, and I'm really encouraged to hear that. But but I read Dana Boyd's stuff on Data Voids, and her point was that the people that really need to understand what's going on are the news media. Yeah. So um, Dana, like fellow researcher, uh, right. with us. Um, they're part of that team, Fate, I was mentioning. And so from the news side, yeah, I personally, I, I have my own unique perspective on this, especially being part of the underrepresented queer community, and it's really rough right now. Um, and we have to be looking at, you know, one way to handle this is you interject um, sentiment analysis with AI. So, like, if you have two di- di- um, opposing viewpoints, 
um, using sentiment analysis will allow you to basically normalize it and say, here is what this side is saying, here is what this side is saying, and ideally the informed individual, which we do not want to sort of have oversight over, can make an informed decision. There's lots of ways you can approach this. Um, and personally, I think that's one approach that could be a good solution for this. But it, it just comes down to, you know, our societies, like who we hang out with, who we choose to be our friends, our family. Um, and ideally, like we're all sort of helping one another in community um, uh, to, to do better and to be better as, as humankind. I think we'll finish on that note because that's, that's a, a wonderful hope. Hey, yeah. thank you very much, Anna. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me over. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Cheers. Cheers. Microsoft's Anna Ariola, who was in Auckland recently for the Future of the Future conference. And that's it for this incredibly interesting episode of Actually Interesting. Thanks to the spin-off for The Spot, Tina Tiller for producing, and Microsoft for sponsoring it all. I'm Russell Brown, and if you like this podcast, you might also like my other one, The Internet of Awesome Things, which you can find at spark.co.nz forward slash IOT. We'll be back here at the spin-off soon with more perspectives on letting machines do the thinking. Bye now. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.